your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on International Business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Hello and welcome to the Culture Matters Podcast. We are on episode number 48 and we have a guest today and his name is Pellegrino Riccardi. And although his name might sound very uh, Mediterranean almost, he's actually not from the Mediterranean, but you'll be able to make out where he's from. And he's in, he will inter- actually introduce himself as well, of course. Um, Pellegrino, Pellegrino is a cross-cultural expert, keynote speaker, and a people watcher. That's as simple as it gets, I guess. But he does hit the nail right on the head when he talks about, in the interview, when he talks about or mentions this sentence, which really uh, got to me as well. And he puts it like this, um, cultural differences or cultural diversity isn't about them, but it's more and it's much more and it's maybe only about you. So I find that a really good um, a good statement. Cultural differences isn't about them, it's about you. Having said all that, let's move right to the interview. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning, Pellegrino. Good morning to you, Chris. Um, that sounds like that sounds totally different than from a lot of people what people would have expect, I guess. The, <laughs> you mean I, mean, my, the uh, I mean the accent, really. The accent. Well, uh, I can tell you that I use that sometimes as a beginning to my uh, to my keynotes. Yes, and I think it's a, it's a very nice way to do this as well, because uh, Pellegrino Riccardi. As uh, I guess the Italians would uh, would pronounce it to some extent, doesn't sound at all like you sound. We've been chatting a little bit uh, prior to hitting record here, so um, just introduce yourself a little bit: who you are, where you come from, where you are right now, and sort of what's your cultural frame of reference. Okay, short version: mm-hmm. uh, my parents are Italian, both of them from the Napoli area of southern Italy. They emigrated to the UK in the late fifties where I was born and raised. So I'm actually British. I have a British passport. Yeah. Uh, and for the last 20 years, I've been living and working from my base in Norway, in Oslo. I'm married to a Norwegian. I have three very Norwegian blonde, blue-eyed kids. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. I work as an intercultural um, consultant, if you want to use that term. Yeah. Uh, I help organizations work better internationally. Right, so it's pretty much your your competition in a way. I'm competition. However, Europe is a big place. Yes, it's, it's a big pond, and we're two small little fish. Isn't it nice that you and I, you know, as an example of of Europe uh, as a place to be, the center of the universe, as such, we can actually make it work as two competitors talking to each other on a on a friendly basis. How's that? Well, I I, I heard someone say recently actually that the, to, the, today it's all about competing and collaborating at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I guess I guess that's true. It's yeah. um um actually I found you uh, or our paths crossed really when I uh, I found you on. on on YouTube with your um, your TED talk, uh, which you've done, um, I don't know, some time back, not so, so long ago. And um, that's a really enjoyable TED talk. I'll put a link in the show notes as well later on. Thank you. Um, and so what is it, how do, you, how do you do what you do being the interculturalist, if you want to share that with us? Well, having moved to a new country myself, um, 
I think the biggest challenge was not knowing things about Norwegians when I moved to Norway. I mean, my focus was on Norwegians. I've got to find everything about Norwegians. Yeah. But I quickly realized that, you know, I read all the culture shock books and the do's and don'ts of living in Norway, and it didn't help very much. <laughs> and the reason being is that it wasn't about them. It was really about me, that I was a different person mm-hmm. in this country, meaning that the way people reacted to my behaviors and my communication style weren't always positive. I mean, the things I could say in the UK and Italy and the way I said them weren't always received positively here. So suddenly I realized, you know what, it's actually about me. I've got to learn more about myself. And I try and do that with my clients too. I get them to look at themselves from the outside in, understand how they're perceived. And then after that, we look at how they can not change themselves, but adjust their behavior to get more positive reactions and results from the people they work with. That's That's actually, that's really, really nicely framed as such. It's not about them. It's about you when it comes to cultural differences. Um, Would you agree with me that if we, if that cultural, cultural differences or intercultural management, if you want to use an official term or something like that is, is very much um, about the management of perception And if how we perceive the other and how we pinpoint or even finger point at what the other is doing wrong, would you agree with me? I would, I would agree certainly with the first half that it's definitely a management of perceptions, uh-huh. but it's also a management of um, how we can affect people's reactions to us. Yeah. So the example, um, coming to Norway, I mean, in, in Norway, a very important part of Norwegian culture is is this idea of equality, right? Yeah. Uh, so how long ago did you, did you move to Norway? 20 years ago. I mean, it's 20 years. I mean, uh, that's a long time. That's over yes. a third of my life in Norway. I have to kind of reluctantly admit that I've become quite Norwegian in many ways. Yeah. But one of the things you have to be very careful about in Norway, in a, a, in a sort of a, a small power distance culture, is, is the idea that you can't, talk too highly of yourself. You've got to be very careful when you talk about yourself. You can talk about yourself and you say you're good, but not too good. And you shouldn't show it too much. That was really odd coming here. Uh, in the UK, it's quite, It's. I would say it's a lot more acceptable to basically sing your praises. I mean, nobody likes anybody who is arrogant or tries to rise too much about others, but it's okay to say that you're good at something and to sort of show your qualifications. Yeah. I found coming here, it was very difficult. That was that proved to be very difficult. So I had to adjust the way I said things about myself and the way I sold my talents in order to get a more positive reaction and acceptance from my environment. Yeah. It's that simple. So uh, it's um, uh, there's a writer, Alan Weiss. He's American and he's got this saying, if you don't blow your own trumpet, there's no music. Yeah. Yeah, which, is, like. which is a very American uh, uh, approach or Anglo-Saxon approach, if you want. So, yeah. so suppose you are, not suppose, you are a very good public speaker. Um, how mm. would you then, how would you then phrase it to a Brit and how would you phrase it to a Norwegian, the fact that you're really good at what you do? Uh, I think that I would basically list off my, almost like a CV to Brits. I would, I would just quite flatly and quite, you know, fairly modestly, but I would sort of, Uh, list the achievements I've done, the projects I've been with, uh, and demonstrate results, basically, you know, yeah. uh, in a way that is not perceived, obviously, as uh, arrogant or too full of myself or, you know, like I said earlier. But I would basically focus on the results that I've done. In Norway, I would just tone it down a bit. Yeah. And my language would have little qualifiers in it. 
Um, this is a project I was quite pleased about, and 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 uh, the customer said that uh, the feedback from the customer was very positive here, and it's all about playing it down, basically. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's it, really. Yeah, to that extent, it's very comparable to the to the Dutch culture, which is my my native culture upbringing as well. And living in Belgium, which is the country right underneath the, the Netherlands, there's a they're a lot more um, able to to well to blow their own trumpet, really, which sometimes looks really weird to me as well. Typically, yeah. when people walk up to me and say, "You know, I I can do this really well," and it's like you shouldn't say that like that. You know, well, you well, say something like, I'm decently good at something. That's Exactly. That's, but then again, I say to Norwegians, in some contexts, even in Norway, you'd really want the guy or the woman you're meeting to show some confidence. And the example I give is a pilot of a plane. Yeah. I don't want the pilot of my plane to be modest. I want him to be pretty sure of what he's doing. Yeah. Likewise, a surgeon. I don't want any any shadow of doubt to my surgeon's competence. And I want him or her to communicate that to me as well. So... In certain contexts, even the Norwegians and the Dutch would like someone to blow their own trumpet, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting that you bring this up. There's because uh, uh, that's that's I find that a surprise as well that many people um, recognize non-Dutch recognize when they go to a Dutch doctor, a GP, general physician. And so they come in and they say, well, doctor, you know, when I press here, it hurts there. And then the doctor can ask the patient, like, what do you think it is? Oh, <laughs> I don't know how that works in, in Norway. Yeah, when, I, when I mention this example, example, I see a lot of like recognition, like, yes, that's what they do. Why do they do this? The doctor should tell me what's wrong with me. Well, I love that example, actually, because that kind of, that's a great metaphor for, for Scandinavian leadership, which is consensus oriented, where you're, where you're you know, constantly asking for input from your employees. Yes. You'll get a Norwegian manager will take that approach over to Brazil, for example. Yeah. And before you know it, too much asking other people what they think communicates or it's perceived by your local Brazilians or even by your Italians as this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Why is he asking so many questions? So, you know, these are classic uh, examples and just being aware of these small differences can really change your success in leading other cultures. Yes. I I actually had a big smile on my face when I uh, went over your LinkedIn profile and it says as, as your title, what you are, you're a founder, managing director, and and then the boss. That's the boss. You, that's the oh, boss. I, that's I've got to have a little dig. I've got to put a dig in there, you know? Yeah. I've got to put my little thing in there, my little statement. So how yeah. do you explain this to your Norwegian countrymen? Well, they do have a sense of humor. Yeah. I think they see the humor in that as well. Um, actually, I'm uh, in a couple of days' time, I am going to be the moderator, uh, the host of a big conference here in Oslo, which will discuss the Norwegian leadership model. Is it under threat? Should we still hold on to it? Should we be adjusting it to in more alignment with the rest of the world? And this is one of the topics that's going to come up, you know, Mm -hmm. should leaders in Norway be a little bit more out there, a bit more taking responsibility for what they do, a bit more outspoken, a bit more standing on their own sometimes and, and just taking the flack. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we're going to be discussing. At the same time, Norway is, and is, you know, many Norwegian companies are being bought up by foreign companies because they're often quite small, so they get eaten up by the big fish. Uh-huh. And these uh, foreign companies, often from the States, uh, often from Japan, China, Germany, they will introduce a much more hierarchical and bureaucratical leadership style, which also has its negative consequences in the way it motivates, or rather doesn't motivate, Norwegian workers. So... 
This is a very real and current topic being talked about in Norway at the moment. That's interesting. Can you mention the the um, the conference? The conference is called the Front Conference. Uh, it's in Oslo this Thursday, Thursday being the 12th of November. Okay. Uh, and it's a very well-attended conference, and the topic is very, very important for Norwegians right now. They feel, many of them, mm-hmm. that they're being taken over by foreign companies, not just the money sense, but the way they do business. Mm-hmm. And research in Norway has shown mm-hmm. that the more control mechanisms you have on people, whether it's through bureaucracy or so-called hard HR, measuring people, uh, following them up, constant looking at them and monitoring, the less motivated people become. And that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It's the same with our kids as well. The more we micromanage our kids, mm-hmm. the less motivated they are to be good kids, in fact. So... This is going to be a very interesting discussion yeah, uh, and very relevant to Norway, which, after all, is still slightly on the outskirts of Europe in, in, in more terms and what, not just geographically. Yeah. So do you find it difficult as being a Brit, having, uh, well, the British culture, somewhat Italian culture, and understanding the Norwegians really well to moderate um, a discussion like that without actually putting in too much of yourself in there? Yeah, I do. That's a very good point, actually. I, I, I do in many aspects, not just as a moderator role. But the last 20 years, I've learned to hold back a bit, allow others into the fora, into the arena. That's a very important skill when working with Norwegians and Scandinavians, actually. Yeah. It's about allowing the quieter people to speak up, not just because we're being nice, but because often these quieter people are sitting on very good ideas, actually. Yeah. Which perhaps in the UK, you see, and in Italy, the quieter people keep quiet because the louder people are speaking the loudest. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. And then, and then indeed, you, you might actually lose out on some really good ideas. Well, some of the companies I've worked with as well, Norwegian companies, have introduced the leadership style, Norwegian leadership style abroad with success. You know, it's, it's a good thing as well. And one of the concepts that I use in my workshops is getting people to understand what I call the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm-hmm of their cultural behaviors. Every every culture, every nationality, every management style will have its good sides, bad sides, and ugly sides. Let, and it's important to be aware of those. Let's build on that a little bit, if uh, if you don't mind. Yeah. So um, we have, let's, let's see, we have Italy, Britain, and Norway, uh, all in you. So talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly about British management. Well, British management, the good is the level of individualism. You've got managers standing uh, at the top of their organizations, let's call it, or at the top of their sections, Uh um, and and they have their opinions and they stand for their, um, for for what they achieve. They will get the flack if it goes wrong and they will get the praise if it goes right. It's a lovely place to be, I think. And what's what's the, the bad? The bad of that is that, of course, uh, not just UK, but uh, USA, individualism is, is, is good for speed of action, uh, going your own way. We're seeing it now with Cameron and the EU. He's going his own way. He's leading ahead. Uh, I want to change the EU. Mm-hmm. But the bad is that we're not sure if it's been thought through properly. Right. The and other side of that, of yes. course, is the uh, world economic crisis. You know, it, it, it breeds selfishness and greed. And egoism, and that can lead to catastrophic consequences. I think that's basically what's behind a lot of the financial crisis we've seen of late. How about the Italian management then? What's the good thing about Italian management? Well, the Italian management is that Italian managers are they they are a fantastic mixture of 
being strong and being kind. Mm-hmm. Benevolent father is, right. the, is what I do. The benevolent father. And, and often they are men, unfortunately. I'll talk about that after. Yeah. But, but they're, they're tough, but they're kind. They care for and take, take care of their staff as long as the staff are compliant. And then we move on to the bad, of course, because yes. this is a management style which is great if you go along with the management style and decision-making. Too much resistance and you will get consequences from above. This breeds fear. Culture of fear is very common in Italian management styles. Mm-hmm. And that could even be the ugly side as well. In many of um, organizations I've worked with in Italy, if the management style is too autocratic, you basically breed fear and it stops all communication channels yeah. upwards or constructive communication. Yeah, that it instructs. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then after British, Italian, Norwegian. What's the good thing? Norwegian, well, the best side of Norwegian is this uh, flat structure, inclusion, consensus building. You feel that you have an opinion, that you're part of the process. Uh, uh, managers are encouraged to listen to even the most junior of people. Great, lovely, inclusive uh, uh, business world. The bad side, of course, is it takes an eternity often for decisions to be made. Yeah, because and of the consensus model is a growing insight and people just keep it, on talking and talking. Exactly. And, um, and, and, and perhaps the most extreme example of that is probably in Sweden, actually, even more than Norwegians. It can take an eternity for decisions to be made. When they are made, we're not quite sure that they have been made and who has actually made them. And when things go wrong, yeah. we're not sure who is to take the blame for that. You know, We don't know really who to look to to take responsibility. Right. The blame is often spread, which is also a good thing too, obviously. And then the ugly side is that it can, it can lead to, to kind of a slow reaction time. It's not very dynamic in, in situations of emergency. We saw a very, very... Tragic example of that during the 22nd of July shootings just outside Oslo. I'm sure you all saw that on the news um, when those kids were killed on the island. The police were horribly slow to react. And that was a classic sign of the ugly side of Norwegian leadership, where it's far too slow, far too disoriented and fragmented to have any effect whatsoever. So is there an ideal culture? I get that question quite often, but it's, uh, I'm curious yeah. what your answer would be. Yeah, there is. Uh, it's what I'm trying to be as a father in my family, to take the best of all three. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to breed a sense of um, proactivity, UK proactivity, mm-hmm. go for it, uh, along with the caring side and the relational side of the Italians. Mm-hmm. They're great relationship builders. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, allowing my kids to sort of really show the Norwegian side, which is the sort of um, inclusive, uh, looking to the quiet people, mm-hmm. creating a good group consensus. I think it really is possible to combine all three. And I think the end product potentially is fantastic. Now, you're, you're, you're a father then and, and you're an individual. Children are relatively receptive to what's being um, fed into them, so to speak. Yeah. How, how do you do this with an organization that's been that's been... Uh, call it unkind, but stuck in in its own paradigm of this is the way we do this. No, I mean it's about it's about selling. Go, go back to the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's about selling the good of other alternatives from other cultural approaches. Mm-hmm. It's selling the good and showing that it works. 
And, and all behavior can be learned. That's another important thing people need to understand. They often think, like you say, they're stuck. Oh, I can't do that. Or, well, that's just not me. It's rubbish. All behavior can be learned. Any behavior can be learned if given enough time and with enough motivation, you know, reason to do it. Uh-huh. And we're seeing it now in Norway with the oil crisis. We're having to rethink the way we, we run the country, basically. Mm-hmm. And on a world basis, you know, um, the financial crisis may have been hard for a lot of people, but it forces us to change our behavior, doesn't it? Uh, and people often ask me, what does it take to change a culture? And often I say, well, some kind of traumatic experience or some kind of upturn is often the best way to get people in gear and look to different ways of doing it. Yeah, that's true. That's that's where change comes from as well. You that's say. where change comes from. And we're living in a diverse world. I say often to people, listen, whether you like it or not, Europe has become and the world has become more and more diverse. So you're either going to resist it or you're going to learn to deal with it and and basically enhance and take advantage of it in a positive way. Hmm. Yeah, good point. It's um, uh, sort of, next question to that is that, and I, I tend to ask this question quite a lot, and I don't seem to have the answer myself, hence I ask the question quite a lot. Okay. Is why, why do you think, what's your idea, why do you think that, that uh, many organizations actually still brush over culture so fast? Like it's not because, a priority. We priorities yeah, somewhere different. We, we it's all that all that good stuff, and it's somehow not all of them. But they're good. They're good organizations actually do pay attention to cultural differences. But there are so many that say, "Well, yeah, we need to do our reorganization first or something like that. I don't know what. Well, now I think you're being modest, Chris, because I read your book recently. So you 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 talk about that actually. I think I agree with one point you made in your book, and it, and it points to your question. Because we're all using the internet and using global brands Mm -hmm. and we're all exposed to each other and we're dressing more and more similar, I think we believe that those superficial, visible, um, symbolic symbolic, uh, characteristics, that they trick us to believe that we're becoming more and more similar Mm -hmm. in the way we think. But the real problems arise from those things underneath the water surface, you know, the surface water, the, the attitudes and the beliefs, the things you can't see. Mm-hmm. They're those things that are very often the cause of the problems. And because we can't see them, I think we don't think, we think they're not there. Mm. Does that make sense? So the visible aspects of our cultures, they're becoming more and more alike, or at least we're becoming more and more exposed and, uh, and used to them. Therefore, we think we're becoming more alike, we're becoming more global, this is something that we don't need to think about. Mm. And as long as I'm myself and I'm a good person, things will be fine. Mm. Well, the thought behind that's nice, but if your idea of being good is different to another idea of being good, uh, another person's idea of being good, you're in, in trouble. And, and the example I use of, to, to really highlight that in my workshops is the classic car and passenger that trumpeters and yeah. Yeah. Use, you know, and I have great fun with that. I, I play the devil's advocate. You see, I can play both ends of the scale. Yes. Because I've been raised in southern Italy, which would score way down towards the particularists. So very, very quickly, what is this What is this about? So maybe, maybe some of the so audience doesn't know. You're sitting as a passenger in a car and your best friend is driving. Mm-hmm. Your friend uh, hits a pedestrian by accident. There are no witnesses. The problem is that your friend was driving too fast. He was speeding. Yep. Let's say that the speed limit was 30, your friend's doing 50. Mm-hmm. Friend's lawyer says, if you are willing to testify under oath in court that your friend was driving at 30, it might save him some serious consequences. Yep. Would you like to help your friend? 
the question Trump and I was asked is a little different, but I ask it directly. I say, would you like to help your friend? Mm -hmm. And you'll find that mostly Nordic type and North European and American cultures will probably not lie for their friend yeah. because of the fact that we believe in our judicial systems. We believe that they work, you know? Yeah. yeah. Society works. The state generally works. We believe in the idea of systems and the jury, uh, you know, the courts working equally for everybody. Mm hmm by the time you reach South American, West African, Middle Eastern type cultures, and I would say a lot of Southern Europe, because we don't trust in those systems, we feel that we have a duty and a loyalty to help our friend as much as we can. Therefore, we are more inclined to help our friend and lie in court. Yeah. Um, and the situation just, doesn't change. It's just the perception that, that a just the perception has so, towards it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So your, your typical UK his positive intention is to tell the truth or at least not say anything mm -hmm. and let the system deal with the problem. Yeah. That means the police, the courts, the insurance companies, mm -hmm. the hospitals. I did this in Mumbai last week in India. Mm -hmm. And there, the vast majority of people said, keep the police out of this, keep the system out of it keep the state out of it. Mm -hmm. I, I need to help my friend. Yeah. So I said, what about the pedestrian? And what they say is really surprising. They say, well, it's our duty to help the pedestrian. We need to help with his hospital bills. We need to make sure he's okay, whatever it takes, but keep the police out of this. <laughs> it's amazing, yeah? yeah? So that person's positive intention and what he thinks is right and good in that situation is keep any form of authority or third party out of this problem. That that And that is basically a major divide in the world's cultures. And it creates big problems. Think about the way we deal with contracts. Yep. Think of the way we deal with our obligations to one another. Are they personal or are they contractual? Hmm. It's, you know, the, the, the list goes on and on. Sure. And therefore, we, we're both being good, But our idea of good and loyal and the word honest is very different in our two worlds. Yep. That's where the problems lie. Yes. So we all, we both we all think we both think that I mean you and I were speaking well you're native English that doesn't really count but the Indian yeah. and myself you know we're speaking English and we think so hence we're speaking English so we have that in common and exactly. we have one nose two ears and etc. Exactly. And hence we brush over culture so fast because that was the beginning of the question. How do you how do you shake this up? How do I shake it up? I know. How do you shake this? How do you make people aware? How do you make? How do you wake people up out of this this um, this idea, this this globalization idea? Well, I wake them up. Uh, you'll see some of them in the TED in the TED talk that I did, the TEDx in Birken. Yeah. First, I use humor yeah. to get under their skin quickly. I use self irony, self perception, and I do what I call holding a mirror up to people. I hold a cultural mirror up to them. Mm -hmm. And I show them how they're perceived in a way they perhaps haven't thought about before. And they don't always like what they see, you see. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I say, do you like the way that you've been perceived now? And they'll say, well, no, not really. And then they'll defend their actions. And I go, okay, you can defend and explain your actions as much as you like. Mm -hmm. But me on the other side of the mirror, I'm perceiving this. Yep. And who do you think I'm going to believe? My perception of you or your explanation of what you're doing i'm obviously going to believe my perception of you evidently so what are you going to do about it do you want to change the way i perceive you yes or no and then that's that's a question i can't force them to do 
But by that stage, they're ready to at least talk about, okay, how could I change? Because we put so much emphasis on other people changing, don't we? It's the other person that should change, especially if they're visiting our country. Yes. Yes. We both have the intention that we want to change, but you go first. Exactly. Exactly. What about taking the first step and being the proactive one? It has an amazing result. And I show them then how changing their behavior can have amazing results. And, you know, that idea I received from a friend of mine, actually, who's a marriage counselor. Mm -hmm. And one of his basic principles when he's counseling married couples who are having problems is to get them to understand that they can't change their partner. Yeah. What they can do is change their behavior. And maybe, and he underlines the word maybe, maybe the other person will react differently. Mm -hmm. That's a really important principle. And many of them resist that for weeks, which he doesn't mind because he's charging by the hour every week, so that's okay. But but until they've accepted that and take responsibility for the situation that they are part of, they cannot proceed. And I think that is a really good parallel in cross-cultural work as well, that you kind of take a responsibility, Mm -hmm. not saying who's right or wrong, but okay, this is how I am. This is the reaction I get from that type of culture. What can I do to change that reaction? Good point. That's, that's, that's it, basically. All right. Talking about points, because I uh, uh, I'd like to sort of come to uh, to a a close, and uh, and I have two questions for you. Um, question number one of the last two questions is: Can you give us three tips to become more culturally competent? <laughs> Sorry, I usually, I usually I, I, I tell the guest that I'm going to ask this question last. Oh, no preparation whatsoever. No, I'm sorry. I should have mentioned that. Two, one more time. So three tips. Okay. So, well, can you give us well one, two, or three, preferably three tips to become more culturally competent? What can I do, the audience? What can you do to become more culturally competent? Okay. The obvious one is learn how you are perceived by others. Okay. Be willing to to, to to ask and listen to how your behavior is perceived mm-hmm. by other cultures. Well, not just other cultures, but by other people. You know, culture works on different levels. Lawyers and teachers don't think the same, mm-hmm. even though they might be from the same country, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so be, be open to the way others perceive you, mm-hmm. number one. Okay? Yeah. The next is uh, learn about people's positive intentions. What is the positive intention behind the behavior that you find either frustrating or just wrong? What is the positive intention behind it? Mm-hmm. By doing that, you have a chance to address the actual interaction problem. Without doing that, you'll just be sitting on your side of the fence trying to sell your way of doing it to the other person. It doesn't work. Uh, And I guess ending on the last one, um, really what I just said just now is, back to the metaphor with the marriage counsellor, what are you willing to change in yourself? Decide what you're willing to change. What, what, where are you willing to move? What, what behavioral changes are you willing to move in order to meet the other person somewhere halfway? Good point. Good, point. Good, stuff. Good stuff. Learn from your uh, learn how you're being perceived. That's what I wrote down. Learn yeah. about other people's positive intention, which is really yeah. really hard. Yeah. And what are you willing to change yourself? Because it's not the other. It's you need to do something. Yeah, I think that's it. it. Ultimately, that's the ease. And that's also much more manageable and much more controllable. That's something you can do. Yeah. Oh, sure, of course, of course, of course. 
All right. Final question, Pellegrino, is uh, I, I shouldn't be asking you this because you are the comp- competition, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if people want to get uh, to know you better, if they want to get in touch with you, how can they do that best? They can get in touch with me by Googling Pellegrino Norway. I'm the only one in Norway. That's yeah. a um, I'm about to launch a new website uh, and a blog next week is the planned um, release date of that. Mm-hmm. I will be publishing some blogs. My blogs will all be in English. Yeah. Um, and feel free to comment those blogs. You know, I, I'm going to try and walk the talk and listen to what others say about me and my work and, and the places they work in yeah. and try and learn from them. So that's it. Really. Fantastic. All right. Wonderful. It's been uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Um, and it's always good to talk to uh, to colleagues, not competition, just colleagues yeah. in the same business, being passionate about uh, cultural differences and uh, having great fun with that, I guess. Likewise, Chris. Thanks. Right. Thanks very much for getting in touch. Uh, likewise. Take care then. Take care. Bye. Bye. Hope you enjoyed this interview. Thank you, Pellegrino, again for coming on the show. And if you do like what we do, and uh, I hope you do, then, of course, I would like your feedback through Culture Matters. There are several ways to get in touch with me and give me your feedback. There's even a voicemail option there as well. And you could really help me out by going to iTunes and give me a, a rating or a review. And if you want to uh, watch a video and see what I, well, not look like per se, but, you know, to give you a bit of an insight, there's a, um, a TEDx talk that I've done some time back that you can find by going to culturematters.com com slash ted t-e-d in the end all right that's it for this episode we'll be back i'll be back next week with another podcast take care till then talk to you soon bye bye that's it for this episode the culture matters podcast helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences